0: Well, today we are in the second week of our new series, My Masada. Masada is a very well-known historical site in Israel. We've got some pics up there. Pastor Chuck last week elaborated a little bit more on um, about the site and about its history. But uh, it's where King Herod would build a giant palace complex filled with swimming pools, bathhouses, gardens, and even a luxury three-level apartment. It's also famous because it's where the Jewish zealots would take their final stand against uh, Rome around 72 A.D. But there's also reason to believe, given its geographical location, that a thousand years before Herod, this site could have been the location of David's fortress that we read about in 1 Samuel 22 and 24. Masada comes from the Hebrew word Masuda, which means fortress. So whether Masada is or isn't the location of David's fortress, it creates a great picture for what it might mean for God to be our fortress, to be our Masada. Throughout the series, we'll be going through Psalm 18, which has been written by King David, most likely at the height of his reign. In this Psalm, David looks back at how God has been with him through times of danger and adversity. He remembers the many ways that God had blessed, had been his Masada, his fortress, and his safe haven. One of our directives here at Twin Falls Reformed Church is that we be a safe haven for the lost and broken. To find peace and healing through Christ and community. So over the next few weeks, as we explore this psalm, we hope to discover how God can be our safe haven. And how we both individually and collectively can be a safe haven for other people as they join us here. Our scripture today comes from Psalm 18, verses 6 through 15. And our scripture reader for this week is Kathy Bolton. So Kathy, would you please come forward for the reading of God's word? And would all who are able, please stand and face the center of the room. We we do say this every week, but it's so important. We do this to remind us of the centrality of scripture in our lives and that it's the primary lens we used to view the world. So Kathy, whenever you're ready, go ahead.
1: In my my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the darkness rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils.
0: Thanks, Kathy. You can all be seated, please. So today we're just going to dive right in with a serious, controversial topic uh, the NFL playoffs. No, I'm just kidding. I'm actually a basketball guy. I don't even like football that much, but Chuck did give me a strict warning. Uh, There's some reprimand. If I start talking about how the Packers lost last, last yesterday, uh, to the 49ers. So I guess I I decided to stick with my wheelhouse. I'm gonna talk about basketball for a second here. Um, in 2000, (laughs) Chuck, in 2003, the NBA franchise, the Miami heat, which is the national basketball association, uh, signed a 23 year old undrafted free agent by the name of Udonis, Haslam. Good looking guy. Now, unless you're an NBA fan, you might not know who this guy is throughout his career. He was only ever a role player. Some years he started, but oftentimes he found himself coming off of the bench. His career, his career statistics are all just below the average in the league for his position. And yet the Miami heat loyally kept him on their roster. For his entire 20-year career, which for an NBA player is a long, long time, until he retired at the age of 42. Throughout his time on the Heat, he was part of three NBA championships and became one of the most beloved Miami Heat players, embodying what they like to call Heat culture, which is why this past Friday, the team honored him by retiring his number 40 jersey in the rafters. As a player, he never did anything great. So what was it about him that allowed for him to get his jersey retired? I recently listened to an NBA podcast where Udana shared a story from a a number of years ago, and it points to one of the main reasons why he was so highly valued by the heat. He shared about a time in a playoff series against the Indiana Pacers where an opponent gave him a dirty elbow to the face. He ended up getting eight stitches above his right eye. He said he took it like a champ though. But the very next game, the same, in that same series, that same player fouled his superstar NBA teammate, Dwayne Wade, so hard that he got knocked down to the floor. After the foul, the guy who had fouled gave his teammate a high five. This did not sit well with Udonis Haslam. So the very next play, when he was on defense, the culprit of the foul got the ball. He went up for a layup, and Udonis knocked him down. Hit him so hard that the foul ended up getting him a a game suspension from the league. After the foul, Udonis uh, reflected on this in that podcast, debriefing the event. He said, I would have sacrificed anything for the safety of my team. And my role is to protect Dwayne Wade. Now I don't condone violence for the record. I'm a pretty passive guy, but he did not have great skills, great statistics, but because he was the enforcer for his team, he had value that surpassed any of those players that came and went from that franchise over the next 20 years. He had a 20-year NBA career, not because of his skill, but because of his role for the team. He was someone nobody wanted to mess with. He was always willing to take action for his teammates. Now, anyone who's ever had family or friends or maybe a teammate, coworkers, uh, that people did not want to mess with, know the level of safety and security you feel when those guys are around you. These enforcer types often have a perceived level of toughness or strength. They might be extremely large and intimidating, much like myself. I'm sick now. Um, I, I smile too much. They might be extremely large and intimidating, but what usually gives them the reputation as an enforcer is that willingness to take action. Last week we were shown that God was David's safe haven, his Masada, by being his rock and his fortress. But today we discover how God was David's Masada. Through being his enforcer. In this part of the psalm, David remembers how God showed up for him in powerful ways in times of trouble. He communicates this through the use of strong poetic imagery, which I know all of us know how to really love. But our passage starts with verse six when it says, In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. At some point in our life, like David, all of us feel and experience times of distress. Maybe it's battling through mental illness, finding ourselves in the crosshairs of a nasty divorce, experiencing the betrayal of longtime friends, having our character falsely attacked, or grieving the loss of a loved one. But in those moments, as we experience anger, sadness, and pain, where do we go? Who do we run to? For David, it was a no-brainer. In his distress, he would call out for help because he knew that God would and could Do something about it. He knew God was his enforcer. In our distress, we get to do the same thing because God acts as our enforcer as well. We could run to him in our time of struggle. But are you willing to? We have to be willing to cry out to him in our time of trouble and adversity. And with that comes a need. When we cry out, we have to have faith. That not only will he hear our cry, but he'll listen and respond. David's faith to believe that God would hear and respond comes from a deep level of intimacy that he had with him. David was incredibly close to the Lord. Because of this relationship, David knew and understood what God was capable of. If we don't know what someone's capable of, we're not as likely to go ask them for help. Because what do they know? If we find it hard to ask God for help in our distress, it might mean we're lacking the intimacy we need to trust Him. But we can find strength in Him. And so we can grow this intimacy we have with God in the two simple ways we hear all the time being in prayer, being in His Word. Helps us just truly understand how great and powerful He is, what He can do in our lives. But oftentimes when we get swept up in chaos, turmoil, and adversity, it can be really easy to find ourselves just getting more angry at God. Now, I think God can handle our anger. But the question is do we ask him to do something about it in the midst of it? To change our our current situation. We are to ask for his help, but our asking means nothing if the enforcer doesn't listen to or care about our pain. This is what makes God the great enforcer. When we ask for help, he's attentive to our cries. We are so blessed that we are given the ability to bring our troubles before the God of the universe and that he's not only willing just to hear us out, but he's willing to act on it. And care about us. Nothing is ever dismissed before him. We're shown God's deep care and concern for us in verses seven and eight through God's response to David's cries. It says The earth trembled and quaked, the foundations of the mountains shook, and they trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. As God hears David's cries, it says that he becomes angry. The same is true with us. When God hears our cries, he is angered by our distress. This anger that God felt from David was expressed through making the earth tremble, the foundations of mountains shake. in his anger, smoke rose from his nostrils to show that he was ready to avenge his enemies. He does not like it when we struggle. He does not like to see us hurting. He doesn't like it when we suffer. Our pain, our struggle, hurt and anger him. He experiences this anger because of the unconditional love that he has for each and every one of us. It's similar to the anger we feel when we love someone and they're in pain. Do I have any mama bears in the house? A few. How about any, any papa bears? We got any papa bears? There we go. All right. How do you feel? And this could extend to grandparents too. How do you feel when your kid or grandkid comes home from school with a black eye? Or coming home crying with big alligator tears because someone was making fun of the way they look? How do you feel when your daughter's new boyfriend isn't treating her with respect? Or if your child were to get a medical diagnosis that entailed extreme physical pain, and meant that you knew they would miss out on so much that life has to offer. What do you feel? Anger? Why? When the people we love are hurting, or have been wronged, we often experience anger for the way that they're being afflicted. God feels the same towards us. We have a God that when we go to him in our distress, listens to us, and gets angered by our struggles. This anger that God experiences that, that comes from our distress compels God to act on our behalf. David dramatically shows the extent of his action in verses 9 through 14. And they're just so cool when you listen to the power that he has. Verses 9 through 14. He parted the heavens and he came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy with great bolts of lightning. He routed them. That is power. That is a God willing to act on our behalf. Our God is not just one who listens and, and feels for us. He's our enforcer. He's one that takes action for us. The Psalm says that not only did God's anger make the earth tremble and the mouth shake, the mountain shake, it compelled him to part the heavens and come down himself and take care of business. It says that he flew on the wings of the winds and that out of the brightness of his presence, his holiness, he made clouds and vents and hailstorms and lightning. His voice thundered down and he defeated his enemies. God's anger for David's distress was rooted in his deep love for David. And that's what drives That anger he feels when we're in distress. That deeply rooted, unconditional love. When we call out to him in our distress, he fights for us. He makes the way for liars to be exposed, for abusers to be guilty, thieves to be caught red handed, and sicknesses to be healed. But sometimes, the way that God takes action is a lot more subtle. At least that's the way I experience it. When I was in elementary school, I really, really, really struggled at making friends in school. I never felt like I fit in. Maybe it's just due to like who I was and my family was versus who I was in school with. But I was always a couple heads taller than everyone. In fact, I should have brought the picture. There's a lot of pictures where my knees are like two feet higher than anyone else's when I'm sitting down. I got this massive melon of a head that I have today. I was a little bit awkward. I was a little bit chunky. It's okay. Husky for all the kids that, you know, know what that means. And I had two front teeth that stuck out. Which earned me the the short-lived nickname Vampire Boy. And because of those factors and many more, I was an easy target to get teased but God would take action for me in my distress, even if it seems insignificant to others. He would take action by placing lifelong friends in my family, lifelong friends that became like family, using this church that would help me see that my identity was not in what they called me out there, but in being a child of God. These friends, these lifetime friends that I still talk to today would be a lifeline and a safe haven from the things that beat me down five days a week. It's not spectacular. It's not thunder coming down but he did take action. When we're in distress, God hears us and he does something about it. In the same line of thinking, there's also reality that sometimes his actions do not lead to the results that we wanted or expected. But in those moments, we're called to have faith in his goodness and his good plan. As David poetically describes how God acts on his behalf, We are emphatically shown through this whole passage just how awesome in power God is. He has the ability to shake the foundations of the earth, to to move mountains. And throughout this entire passage, every single way that God acts on behalf of David is spectacular. It's awesome. And it's amazing. And I think we can forget that he does work that way. God is awesome in power. And because of that truth, David found confidence in the midst of his distress. He knew God would show up. Do you know God will show up? My hope for all of us today is that we too can find that same confidence in God that David exudes in this passage when we're going through the struggles of life. Knowing that he's capable of all things, I also hope that our confidence in him will move us to pray with greater boldness for him to show up in powerful ways. A moment ago, I shared a subtle way that God acted on my behalf. But we need to remember that he is capable of acting in powerful and miraculous ways. In our passage today, David is recognizing and giving praise to God for the amazing ways he had fought for him. And he's highlighting the the powerful nature of his enforcer. He's proclaiming that enemies stand no chance against his God, especially when you find me in distress and I reach out to him. The reality of our human condition is that we all have a common enemy. And this common enemy is constantly attempting to put us in distress To make our lives chaotic. And that enemy is sin. It's a part of our human nature. And we feel the effects of it from the world around us. But God. In all of his awesome power. Would act as our ultimate enforcer. But God sometimes works in ironic ways. Similar to what the passage says. He would literally come down to earth. But when he came down, he did not make the earth tremble. He did not open up the heavens and come down as this intimidating warrior riding on angelic beasts. He didn't shoot lightning bolts and arrows. He would instead be quietly brought down to earth through a virgin. Born in a manger. Raised by a tecton and live a life of humility. Instead of glorious victories against enemies in battle, he would instead willingly give up his life for ours. But in doing this, Jesus would become the greatest enforcer this world has ever seen. His sacrifice on the cross would defeat and conquer sin on our behalf. And give us all the opportunity to live eternally with no distress in the presence of God. Now that is a powerful enforcer. For David, God was his Masada, his fortress, his enforcer. In his distress, he called out to him and God showed up in a mighty way. And he does the same for us. He sent Jesus, our ultimate enforcer, against the wages of sin and death. And he invites each and every one of us to ask him a question. God, come into my life. Be my enforcer. Help me. In what way today do you need God to show up in your lives? In what way do you need God to be your enforcer? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that today if there's anyone who just feels like their life is defined by distress right now that you would help them feel your perfect peace, that you would act as their enforcer, that you would allow for them to come to you and ask for help. Lord, we thank you for the uh, unconditional love and anger that you feel on our behalf so that you're willing to take action for us. And we thank you for Jesus and how he acts as our enforcer against sin. We love you, God, and it's in your holy name we pray, amen. (laughs) Well, let's close with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.